Good morning. I feel like this is my first time out. This is really fun. You all do exist. It's good to see. Uh, one of the things that I want to make sure you understand is that as far as kids are concerned, at least while they're in children's church, is that today's the best day of the week, and this is why. We get to gather together, and we get to share. Uh, so let me begin with this. First of all, I'm Doug Bridge. I'm the family ministry pastor here at Verde Valley Christian Church, and I'd like to thank each one of you that are here this morning, whether you're here actually live, or maybe you're out in the hallway, or Prudy over in uh, the library. Hi, Prudy. <laughs> um, or perhaps you're online, and uh, you're watching this from your home or at somebody else's home. We're, we're glad that you're here with us. Uh, we're going to be talking through the eighth installment of The Certainty, which is based on the book of Luke, and our title this morning is Search and Rescue. Um, I've honestly been looking forward to this, this time with you. I can't always say that because there's always a certain amount of fear and trepidation when my crowd is over 12, and some of you are pushing that right now. So um, I happen to believe, though, that this is going to be a grand day, and I'm choosing my words carefully. Uh, because as we're here together looking into God's word, uh, there's going to be some grand things that come up. And I'd like to especially uh, send out a warm welcome to some friends who are 1,744 miles from here this morning. They're in uh, just north of Chattanooga, Tennessee. So Mark and Karen, hi. Glad you're joining us with all of your six grandkids that you are taking care of. You guys better be good, all right? because grandma and grandpa are fun. And if you want them to stay that way, you better be good. And that's out to all of you out here with grandparents. Better be good. Um, so before we begin, something came up this week and it had absolutely nothing to do with what I wanted to share with you this morning. It was just that good. And this is more for the adults in the group uh, because I'm not you know, trying to shoot under or over or above, just trying to make sure we get everybody. But my wife Sue and I have a, a devotional that we're doing by Chuck Swindoll, and uh, there was a note apparently that the Internal Revenue Service received. It read this way, gentlemen, enclosed you will find a check for $150. I cheated on my income tax return last year and have not been able to sleep ever since. If I still have trouble sleeping, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> See, you are all the same place I was until the last sentence. It's like, okay, well, good for him. Now, what I want to know is, did he sign the note, and does it really matter because he sent a check, right, which has all that good information on it? I think I smell audit somewhere. <sighs> so let's, let's uh, go ahead now that you've had a chance to, and as have I, uh, let's, let's look at this next slide, which is, uh, to some of you, an odd picture, and to some others who are 12 and under, they already know what this is. Uh, this is just a reminder to help us remember what the book of Luke is all about. See, there is a doctor over there, and he's looking through his... 
That's all right. It happens every time with the kids too. That's, that's, you're, you're allowed. It really is. It's okay. He's, he's looking at this guy over here. So it's Luke, Dr. Luke. And the book of Luke is about, well, all of the Gospels are about Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But each one of them from a unique perspective that God used through that writer. And so in this case, Luke is looking at Christ as a perfect man, which is different than Matthew, who looked at Christ as a king, and Mark, who looked at Christ as a servant, and John, who looked at Christ as a son of God. So we have a unique perspective uh, and, and in this book, it, it just kind of helps us remember what his point of view was. Um, by way of review, last week, Jim shared with us about a door. It wasn't just any door. It was the door. Uh, the door to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, depending on whether you're reading the book of Matthew, which was written by a Jewish man, Matthew, or a Greek, which is Luke here. Um, he reminded us that this door is open to everyone and that it's our decision whether or not we go through this door. The door is also narrow and low and it requires great effort to humble ourselves to the point of repentance to pass through. And each week, Jim has also provided uh, this picture, which if you go on to the next slide, I think is there. Yes, that one. He's brought this up to give us an idea of an overview. It's based on Acts 2.36. And Acts 2.36 goes this way, Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty, which is where the, the series comes from, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard, there's the hearing. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. There's the believing and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? There's the living. And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's knowing. Which brings us to this week. Earlier I mentioned that today would be a grand day. So I'll, uh, I'll begin this way. Our children's church participants have been encouraged to be memorizing a portion of that section of scripture that I just read to you. Uh, not the whole thing, just the first part. And so we'd like to show you kind of what that looks like. Let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Acts 2.36. Yeah. So, Joe and Jerry, there you are, the Crapesers. You have two of the most beautiful grandchildren in the entire world. And for those of you who aren't aware, their son married my daughter. That's also my granddaughter. But if I'd have said that about my grandchildren, it would have just sounded like bragging, right? So, um, so are you starting to see the grand? We had grandchildren that are watching in Tennessee, and we've got a granddaughter up here. Um, and now I'm going to do a, a back into history, five generations. I need to just tell you a, a quick story. I've, I've been working on this since Jim gave me uh, the go on this particular subject and 
on Luke chapter 15, which is what we're looking at. And over those weeks, it just so happened that a box, as we were clearing out our garage, came out, and it was, oh my goodness, this is that box that my aunt sent me. It's from my grandfather. Now, it wasn't from him, it was of him. You know, it was things that she just kind of collected as they were putting things away when he passed away a number of years ago, and she thought, I might enjoy it. So I went through it. Let's see if I can do this for you. There it is, right there. It's the only message notes that were in the box. I maybe didn't mention that he was a pastor. Um, he was a pastor at least as long ago as 1934. Um, can you go ahead and pull that up? This is what I'm holding. If you look, it's uh, titled The Prodigal's Homecoming. You know what I'm preaching on today? Luke 15. He's there, the prodigal son. We're not going to refer to him quite that way all the time, but my grandfather's notes from almost 100 years ago. And the only ones I got were on what I'm talking to you about today. Now, I, I will share with you when I get to the part that I pulled out of his notes, but mostly for me, it was just one of those really wonderful, encouraging moments. It's like, hey, God, you didn't have to do that. You know, the box was good enough because remembering grandpa's a good thing. But to have this set of message notes in that box at this time, if it had showed up two weeks from now, it still would have been fun, but it wouldn't have been timely, would it? And so much of what God does to encourage us and to show us his love is all in the timing. Um, go ahead, let's get the next one because uh, those are, it's, it's multiple pages and there's nothing there in particular I'm going to tell you about. But would you go to the last one, please? If you look up there, you'll see those are, this is how he kept track of not giving his people the same sermons over and over again. <laughs> he first preached this in 34 in West Duluth, Minnesota. And then in 1938, he'd moved to Arlington Heights, Massachusetts. I actually got a chance to see that church, uh, just the building, uh, a few years ago with, with Sue, my wife. Uh, we had a great time looking things over and saying, wow, that's, that's where Grandpa preached for a while. I also grew up in the next one. FBC is First Baptist Church in Spokane, Washington. He preached that before I was born in 48, and he preached it just a little bit after I was born in 56. And then when he retired, because we all know what pastors do when they retire, they just keep preaching, that's right, that's all they do. Uh, he, he went to a retirement home called Bethesda Manor, where he was the chaplain, kind of like he'd been the chaplain in World War II in Pearl Harbor. And, and uh, June 15th, 1969, apparently is the last time he shared uh, this sermon. So kind of fun, kind of exciting Kind of neat ways that God steps in and says, I'm here with you. Don't panic just because they're over 12. <laughs> so the takeaway from this for me was on about the third page. And in my grandfather's notes, it said that there are three parables, and he had that scratched out, and he had the word story written in. It's like, Grandpa, you know better than that. These are parables. These are the things Jesus taught. But as I went on to read, he said, there are three stories that are contained in one parable. Now, I'm not saying this was original with my grandfather. I'm just saying the first time I heard it was in his notes. And the idea here is that in Luke 15, there are three stories. There's 
there's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and there's a lost son. And the reason they're three stories and one parable is because they're all hammering home an idea. When you read the context of this, Jesus doesn't stop along the way. He just keeps telling. And, and in this, it's interesting that in the lost sheep, there's a shepherd who goes out to find that sheep and leaves the 99 behind. Many of you are familiar with that story, maybe even songs written about it. But we have a whole generation of people in this room right now who aren't familiar with these things. And they're exciting things to hear about the way God explains his great love for us and the way that he pursues us. In that first story, the, the shepherd is clearly a picture of Jesus Christ who refers to himself that way in many places. The next story in the parable is about a woman who has 10 pieces of silver and she loses one of them. Can you imagine losing 10% of what you have right now? And what you have isn't that much to begin with? And so she seeks diligently, and the way she seeks that is she finds an oil lamp, and she lights the oil lamp to look for the lost coin. And she looks and looks and looks, and if you've done any study in Scripture, you know any time the word oil pops up, especially in reference to light, you're talking about the Holy Spirit. And then in the third and final one that we usually call the prodigal son, but today we're going to call the lost son, we've got a father who is waiting and when he has the opportunity and sees that it's time because timing is everything he pursues that son so we've got the father the son and the holy spirit wrapped up in these three stories that make one parable that show us the dynamic of the fact that it's not just one of the godhead they are all involved in pursuing us and finding us and wanting the best for us, causing us to be in a position of love with him and having that reestablished. So let's just look. I'm going to read quickly because point number one, because some of you are point filler outers. It, it's a tough one. There it is. There's a lost sheep. Okay, so if you hadn't gotten that already, there it is. And if you're looking for spelling, that's it as well. And it goes something like this. Many tax collectors and sinners came to listen to Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to complain. Look, this man welcomes sinners and even eats with them. Then Jesus told them this story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, but he loses one of them. Then he will leave the other 99 sheep alone and go out and look for the lost sheep. The man will keep on searching for the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, the man is very happy. He puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He calls to his friends and neighbors and says, Be happy with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way I tell you, there is much joy in heaven when one sinner changes his heart. There is more joy for that one sinner than there is for 99 good people who don't need to change. I don't know who I'm talking to exactly this morning. I know a number of you by name. I've known you for a number of years, but there are others that I don't know at all. 
I don't know where you fall in here. Are you one of those 99 or are you that one? It's exciting to realize that not only is God pursuing us through the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but, but he's excited and he celebrates when we're found. Interestingly, I think we use those words, uh, the English language sometimes falls short. When, when we talk about God searching for us and pursuing us, it sounds like he doesn't know where we are. <laughs> I'm glad we got some laughs on that because I agree. I agree. Let's, let's move on to the lost coin, which is a little shorter, and there, there is your second point, a lost coin. And it goes something like this, continuing in Luke 15. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins, but she loses one of them. She will light a lamp and clean the house. Sounds like, never mind. She will look carefully for the coin until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, be happy with me because I have found the coin that I lost. In the same way, there is joy before the angels of God when one sinner changes his heart. If you've ever, ever read um, Peretti's book, the title of which just eluded me. Somebody help me out here. Darkness. Piercing the Darkness. Thank you very much. Great book. If you've not read that, it gives a whole different perspective of what it might be like with all the things that we don't see. Um, anyway, that, that celebration of when that coin, when that thing of value to, to us is found, when, when God brings us back and we're found. Lastly, we get to the lost son, often referred to as the prodigal son. Um, a lost son. Actually, you could put an S on the end if you wanted to because it, it is interesting, isn't it? There are two sons in the story. But let's, let's go through this one. Then Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me my share of the property. Little upstart. So the father divided the property between his two sons. Then the younger son gathered up all that was his and left. He traveled far away to another country. There he wasted his money in foolish living. Aren't you parents glad that's how it said it? Wait till later. He spent everything that he had. Soon after that, the land became very dry and there was no rain. There was not enough food to eat anywhere in the country. The son was hungry and needed food. So he got a job with one of the citizens there. The man sent the son into the fields. You ready for this? We're not Jewish people, so eh. But think about this for a second. Jesus is talking to Jewish people to feed the pigs. The son was so hungry that he was willing to eat the food the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The son realized that he had been very foolish. He thought, all of my father's servants have plenty of food, but I am here almost dying with hunger. I will leave and return to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I am not good enough to be called your son. But let me be like one of your servants. So the son left and went to his father. 
While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He felt sorry for his son, so the father ran to him and hugged and kissed him. Uh, I'm going to pause for a second. You don't have to go back. That's okay. Oh, but you did. That's wonderful. Thank you. You all understand quarantine. Do you realize that Jewish law says that this son should be quarantined until he's been cleaned ceremonially? He's been living with pigs for Pete's sake. Doesn't appear that his father cares at all. Kind of fun. Anyway, we, we, we move on. The son said, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I am not good enough to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. Also put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get our fat calf and kill it. Ooh, wouldn't want to be the fat calf. Then we can have a feast and celebrate. My son was dead, but now he is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. So they began to celebrate. The older son was in the field. As he came closer to the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked, what does all this mean? The servant said, your brother has come back. Your father killed the fat calf to eat because your brother came home safely. The older son was angry and would not go into the feast. So his father went out and begged him to come in. The son said to his father, I have served you like a slave for many years. I have always obeyed your commands, but you never killed even a young goat for me to have a feast with my friends. But your other son has wasted all your money. Then he comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him. The father said to him, son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be happy because your brother was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. It is so amazing to me. God is patient and God pursues I have a wonderful example of this that I need to share. I've already asked permission, so those of you who, who know the situation, don't, don't wonder. I asked Peg if I could talk about her husband, Dave Cobb, who, by the way, is no longer with us. He's in heaven with the Lord rejoicing. But Dave Cobb is a man who was born in 1931 and reborn spiritually in 2008. If you do the math, he was 77 years old before he came to know the Lord. And boy, did he feel like he had a lot of catching up to do. I had the privilege of not only having Dave as a friend, but sitting down on Tuesdays and just digging into God's word together and watching him become a schoolboy over and over and over again as things that were in God's word that he'd never heard came to light. And I can... As if it were yesterday, I can hear him snort, for those of you who knew him well, and say, oh my goodness, do you realize how many times God has saved my life to keep me alive long enough 
until he knew I would finally be smart enough to recognize who he was and what he could do for me and that I would accept him as my savior. And then he regaled me with stories. And if you've ever sat down with Dave, they were good. You know, there was a time he came out of the storm in his constellation, great airplane. Right there is the Russian Navy. Now what do you do? You're dead for sure. They're going to shoot you out of the sky. That's all there is to it. It was back during the Cold War years. So he followed protocol, and he flew up one side and across the front and down the other so they could clearly identify him as not a threat, also an enemy. And he flew on, and he said, Do you realize that was God? He was pursuing me even then. He was waiting patiently for me to get to the place of stopping to run. This is the God that we serve that desires our love in return so desperately that his great patience and his great love are never tested. So let me say this. Today, if you don't yet have a relationship with God through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, you need to know that God is pursuing you. He might be waiting patiently, but he's only waiting to continue to pursue. He's right there. He so desires to have a relationship with you that he has literally done everything necessary to make you part of his family. So stop running. Let God embrace you. Let him celebrate your return to his love. And for those in this room who already have that wonderful relationship with God, made possible only through Jesus Christ, when Jesus told these three stories as a parable, and they do seem to be tied together pretty well, don't they? We've We've got a shepherd that finds a lost sheep, a woman who finds a lost coin, and a father who finds his lost son. There was no question on the part of any of them when those things were found that this was a time to celebrate, that this was the best news ever. It was not a time for a father to stop his son and say, wait, you've got you know, a few days of ceremonial cleaning before you can return to the home. You're unclean. Then we'll talk. Um, and then there's the older son, the older brother, who judged, harbored bitter resentment. His brother had been a rule breaker. How dare he? Those rules are important. We want to see the Father's rules upheld. But sometimes in focusing on the things that we know we're supposed to do and the things we know we're not supposed to do, we sometimes forget the Father's heart. His heart is to receive the lost. His heart is to redeem, to reconcile. His heart is for us to become more like his son.
There are so many takeaways from Luke 15. Um, I would just like to look at two things that are major directions. First, for those who are followers, and then those who are still looking. If as followers, our goal is to be more and more like Jesus Christ, and if the Father's heart is to pursue in love for the good of those he is pursuing, shouldn't that be our heart as well? So who do you see in your circle that you need to pursue? My personal prayer for 2021 is that we, and I'm speaking to those of us who are followers, that we are able to put first things first in our lives, our conversations, our hearts, so that we might pursue in love, with God's love. And in order to do that, we need God's attitudes. I mean, let's face it, there are a lot of viewpoints, probably even in this room. I'm going to say it. Don't get, don't get antsy. It's okay. I'm just going to say it, though. We have viewpoints on masks on, masks off, or masks are a hoax. We have opinions on vaccinations. Yes, definitely get them. No, never get them. It's a hoax. Now, I'll lighten it a little bit here. You might have a viewpoint on the color schemes and the local building codes. But what are we known for? When we're face to face with those who are lost, do they know more about our opinions, about things that aren't eternally important? Or do they see God's love pouring through us? Do our opinions overshadow our ability to pursue with God's love? As we've worked through this parable and its three parts and some of the intricacies, something to think about is maybe spending some of our time again as we ask our children to do on a regular basis Memorizing God's word. Because I'm positive that we know the latest soundbite, uh, Google article, or news release about all kinds of things. But what about Scripture and hiding it in our hearts? What do we do with Philippians 4.8 when it says we're instructed and I'm going to say commanded to think about these things? The things we're to think and to dwell on are the things that are true and honorable, noble and just, right and pure, lovely, commendable, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Does that sum up your conversations this week? I'm only sharing this with you because it's going through me. Psalm 19, 14 says, Let the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight or pleasing to you. O Lord, my strength, my rock, my redeemer. And for those of you who are still looking into Jesus and what it might look like if you actually said yes, can I just tell you that a life with Christ is an amazing thing? The only problem seems to be me. Never a problem with God. It's just when I get in the way. I would urge you, stop running today. Say yes, because the door is still open. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for a grand day of looking into your word and hearing stories that many have heard so many times before. And yet, God, your word is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Its power is amazing. Father, would you take those words that we have looked at today in Scripture and allow us to be challenged by them? God, you're a God who loves us and pursues us. Your desire to search us out and to rescue us is such an amazing thing to think about. So, Father, for those in this room today who need to make that first step, would you give them the courage to do that? And, God, for those of us who have known you, some for a short while and some for many decades, would you allow us to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, a light in a world that desperately needs you. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there will be a prayer team, so those of you that are those folks, if you'd come on over here, we'd love to pray with you about whatever it is that's on your heart this morning. And next week, invite you back to uh, the topic at the edge of eternity.